Welcome to CEO Money. I'm Michael Yorba. Thanks for joining with us. All right, I have Brad Blazer. He is the founder of Learn to Soar on the show with me today. Brad, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. It's great to be here. It's a pleasure. Now, sir, your first time on our show, you have your own podcast. There's a world of people that know you. But for those that don't, give us some background on you, what Learn to Soar does, and then we can move on to some other general questions I have for you. Sure. Uh, first of all, I'm a two-time author. My first book came out early last year. It's called On the Wings of Eagles, Learning to Soar in Life. And it's really a compilation of messages and stories from some tremendous thought leaders and people I've interacted with or heard speak in business. George W. Bush, Joe Namath, Rudy Rudiger, Roger Staubach, Kevin O'Leary, Magic Johnson, amongst a number of others. It really helps people change their habits and limiting beliefs so that they can scale to greater success in life. And then the second book, which is actually already completed and in pre-release, is called A Blueprint for Your Better Self. That book actually will come out here in about another 60 to 90 days. But what we do essentially at Learn to Soar is we provide coaching and training to individuals and businesses, as well as speaking at corporate events as a keynote around the world. In addition to that, of course, we also have our podcast, which we've recorded there at Real News. Uh, that's called Learn to Soar. We're rebranding for 2020, and it's going to be called Beast Nation. And on that, we've uh, interviewed some amazing thought leaders and athletes that have accomplished some amazing things. It really just is there to show people that once you set your mind to something and you have the desire and you commit to move forward, you can accomplish anything great in life you set your mind to. Now, one of your one of your hallmarks is being successful at raising well over two billion dollars in your career. Talk to me about asking for the capital. <laughs> you know, um, coaching people on raising money has led me to the belief that there's two types of salespeople. There are salespeople, and then there are closers. The difference between the two is closers close the sale after the objections. In other words, they understand how to isolate the objection, how to ask the right questions, and how to create what I call positive tension in a sales environment to move that buyer to a decision. Salespeople have basically been taught to be what I call too nice. You know, as, as human beings, we're always raised to be nice to other people. And so when you get an objection, it's very, very common for the salesperson to say, great, let me send you some information, or I'll call you back next week. And what we typically find, of course, is that most people tend to go into that virtual black hole, never hearing back from the prospect, never closing the sale, continuing to call them day after day uh, and I'd rather find out right up front within the first 15 to 20 seconds whether somebody is a qualified buyer or not and use the natural law of attraction rather than chase them continually. So I think the big difference really in asking for business as a closer is number one, as I like to say, you got to have big brass balls. 
Number two is you have to be very well scripted and have the ability to say things to that prospect or to that person that move them forward to a decision or a future event. Uh, the expression that I've actually coined for salespeople is, man, quit selling the flirt. You're, you're flirting with your prospect. <laughs> Get around to actually closing the sale. All right. Talk to me about the lack of courage that most salespeople have, because you've got to have, be able to handle rejection. You've got to be personable enough to communicate the real reason they should buy and understand what they are, the, the, the seller is, it, what their reasons are for not buying. But that takes courage. You've got to Correct. go forward. Bring that out for us. Absolutely. I mean, I'll give you a great example. Zig Ziglar said, man, you can't sell the cookware without owning the cookware. Number one is you have to have conviction in what it is you're selling. You have to have the belief that your product and service can actually help and add value to that individual. The second thing is you have to realize in sales and kind of uh, adopt the concept, uh, as I call it, some will, some won't, so what? The person you're talking to has asked you, hopefully, to be contacted. And so when you're talking to that individual, when you call them, you say, hey, Mike, I'm just reaching out to you. You asked me to give you a call if we had an opening or if we had something that might be of interest. That's why I'm calling you today. And, uh, you know, explain the opportunity, establish the value, et cetera, et cetera, knowing in advance that more than likely you will get an objection. The objection really is nothing more than a smokescreen. And so very early in the sales process, when I am talking to people, I typically ask them, I'll say, you know, on a scale of one to 10, how interested are you in our services or in our product? Typically it's gonna be upwards of an eight or a nine. And so when I get to the close, if there is an objection, I'm then able to bring that back up in my rebuttal or in my closing statement saying, you know, earlier you told me, man, on a scale of one to 10 that you were at an eight. And I sense a tremendous amount of desire in your voice, but there seems to be an unwillingness to commit. That tells me one of two things, either you're flat ass broke or you lie to me. And I don't believe that you're a liar. You're not a liar, are you, Michael? <laughs> you see that little positive tension right there creates the opportunity then to hopefully close on the next statement that comes out of that individual's mouth. When I was in the oil business, I had a prospect that I knew was qualified, he had the money, but for whatever reason, he was on the fence. And finally, one day as a 25 year old kid, because I started my oil company when I was 23, as I said, it takes two things to invest in an oil well. And the prospect said, what? And I said, it takes big balls and lots of money. Which of the two don't you have? And I bit my tongue, and after about 10 seconds, he said, tell me again how much three units in your drilling program cost, <laughs> and let's get you on board. He turned out to be one of our biggest clients ever. But again, it was that positive tension in having the balls to move forward in the process and realizing that people of wealth, people that have the ability to write you a check for 100, 500, a million dollars, they want to be spoken to as equals. The problem with most salespeople, Mike, is they speak up out of desperation and it comes across subconsciously. They don't realize they're doing it, but I guarantee the guy on the other end of the phone or the guy on the other end of the screen in a Zoom or Skype senses that. The, the spider senses go up and they run in the other direction. So what you have to do is, number one, adopt the attitude, some will, some won't, so what? Speak directly to the prospect and then more importantly, have the courage and have the balls to realize that most objections 
are exactly that. Their smoke screens create some positive tension, isolate the objection if there truly is one, so that you're asking, other than the money itself, if you're telling me that you can't afford to do this right now, if we could figure out a way to make it financially affordable, would you be willing to move forward and sign up today? Those are the things that closers and salespeople have to work with on a daily basis. Boy, you're bringing me back to the old days of my life, I'll tell you. Um, <laughs> really, I got into the industry in 1980 as a young 19-year-old commodity broker, so I remember all of, all of that, and I did spend some time in the oil and gas business, um, which brings me back to you raising $2 billion. That's not easy for anybody to say that they did that. Tell our audience what you thought it took or what you think it took to really be able to obtain that kind of a benchmark for a performance as a salesperson. I'd be more than happy to. Um, what I do now largely in our coaching and our training to business owners, CEOs, and entrepreneurs is really consulting on what we have found to be the five missing systems or structures that are prevalent in most businesses. It doesn't matter whether you own an automobile dealership, it doesn't matter whether you're a doctor, doesn't matter whether you're in the plumbing business. These are what I call the systems or structures that most businesses have. Number one is you need leads. You need people to talk to. Business is business. You've got to be closing. You've got to be making sales every day. So the first thing that I always tell the business owners, maybe you're not doing an effective job of using social media and driving leads to your sales team. The second thing is follow-up. We have statistically found it takes 7 to 15 touches to take a person through the journey of being a prospect to ultimately becoming a customer. And for a business owner or an entrepreneur, it's understanding the difference between a linear touch and a non-linear touch and the follow-up that takes place throughout that process. The third man is the easiest, and that is referrals. It is so sad that most businesses are not taking advantage of referrals. We have found in our business that the average customer relationship generates 5.7 referrals if you know how to ask for them properly. The third really is using what we call an explanation of services so that you're using the natural law of attraction because I believe, Michael, it's better to attract business to you rather than be chasing for a business. I'd like to find out in the first 15 seconds whether there's any intent of us ever doing business than chasing you over the course of 15 months. And then lastly, it's what I specialize in, and that is becoming a person of interest so that within your region or your geography, you literally are the number one person in whatever it is you're doing. So that, for example, if somebody says to themselves, man, we got to call a plumber, you are the first plumbing company that comes to their mind. Or you are the first, you basically are the industry, if you will, as it relates to what it is you do. And so what I basically do with companies and people I work with is say, look, it's better to be on the outside looking in because as the owner of your business, you're not seeing things that if you were just able to improve or tweak or do something a little differently, we could probably generate a 30 to 50% increase in your success over the next nine to 12 months. Now these five areas, which one do you feel you're not excelling at? And then let's work on that to get you better leads or to create better follow-up or to create an explanation of service for you so that when you explain to people what it is your company does, there's interest there and they're attracted to you so that they want to learn and know more. 
Got it. Well put. Brad, thanks for being a guest on today's show. Absolutely. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for hosting me. My pleasure. We'll see you soon. Take care. All right, you've been watching CEO Money with Michael Yorba. Thanks for joining with us. Don't forget, download our new app on iOS and Android, CEO Money.